The time has come to get ready for the 2022 World Cup. And what better way to prepare than by revisiting the World Cup's most amazing goals? I'm Brian Phillips. I'm making a podcast about the history of the Men's World Cup, told through the stories of 22 iconic goals. The show's called 22 Goals. It's out now on the Ringer Podcast Network, and we're having so much fun. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian's software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the, the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside, you can go shopping down in your local wherever and you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Welcome into the Ringer Gambling Show. Austin Gale here with Warren Sharp. As always, the Wednesday show on the Ringer Gambling feed. Ready to rip it up. Talk four games in the NFL slate in week eight. Some people are saying there's not a lot of good games this week. I disagree. I think there's some great games this week. A lot of tight spreads. The, 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 the funny game that we're not going to talk about because I think we're saving that for later in the week because it is a primetime spot. The Sunday night football game. Packers at Bills. I had uh, another podcast producer look this up uh, recently. This is the biggest Aaron Rodgers has ever been an underdog. Ten and a half points. Ten and a half point, ten and a half point underdog. Yes, on the road. Yes, against the best team in football. But the last time he was this big an underdog, I think it was eight and a half points. So all the way out to ten and a half. I know we're not talking about that game extensively because it is a Sunday night game and we're going to go over that on future shows on this feed. But your thoughts on how big that spread is, right? Isn't that crazy to see Aaron Rodgers as a ten and a half point dog? It is. You know, and Aaron said that this is going to be a great chance this is the best thing for them right well we'll see if, if being such a big underdog you know they definitely are in one now uh in a pickle so to speak here uh can can he work his way out of it his receivers alan lazard's walking around with the sling we obviously don't know yet what the full-out injury report's going to be because we haven't seen the first one released but lazard was in a sling you don't have Cobb. you know you're working with some young receivers you a lot of i mean it's just uh it's weird. I could see both sides of it, right? Like, what do you? What is your take on Aaron complaining and airing so many grievances through the media, right? Like, it's it's somewhat rare to see a player and and a teammate air so much criticism of play calling, coaching, decision making, and his teammates through the media. You don't really see that as often, but now with the 
with the podcasts and and the other media appearances he does, and he even does it like immediately after the games. He's definitely hypercritical of the situation that he finds himself in and the, his surroundings, isn't he? I mean, you you're not going to get better this way. That's what I'll say. So on, I think it was the McAfee show. He said, I think guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing and added that we're making mental mistakes on 20% of plays. He's also making the, the thing I don't understand about that is he's also making a lot of mistakes. Like he is also throwing the ball inaccurately at a rate that we haven't seen from him before. Like the offense isn't, I, I'm not saying he's, you know, the worst part of the offense, but he is also struggling. Like he's not having the same success that he's had in previous years. Yes. The receiving core isn't great. Yes. The offensive line has been banked up, but I've said this a thousand times, I think, this season. I'm tired of making excuses for anybody this year. When you see a Giants team 6-1 and one, with one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL, one of the worst offensive lines in the NFL, they still rank 31st in pressure rate allowed. Daniel Jones is one of the top quarterbacks in EPA per dropback over the last four weeks, and he's done it behind a bad offensive line and with a bad receiving core because his coach... Brian Dayball and the offense coordinator, Mike Kafka, are willing to run a completely different offense that fits the skill set of their players. You're not seeing that in Green Bay. You're not seeing Green Bay get more condensed and focus things more around the tight ends. They're still trying to run the same thing that Aaron Rodgers has been running for a long time, and they don't have the dogs to do it. And now you're like, oh man, so many people are making mistakes. We're trying to run the offense we've always run without the right players, and so many people are making mistakes. No Devontae Adams, no Marcus Valdez-Scantling. Like This offense is different from a personnel perspective, drastically, but they're not, they're, they're refusing to change the offense drastically to fit their personnel. So I don't want to well, spend too much what? time on that game, but go ahead. Yeah, I, ju- I just want to add one more nugget. This is from Dan Pizzuta. He was talking about the fact that Aaron Rodgers is actually changing the way that he plays to preserve his own longevity in a sense. It's wild, but 71% of his pass attempts came within 2.5 seconds of the snap. Um, 83% of his passes have come within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage uh, against Washington. Basically, that completely reduced the ability for Washington to get pressure. We know Washington is good at pressure, and we know that the Packers struggle to prevent pressure. Their offensive line does. But because he's throwing it super fast and super short, he was pressured on only 9% of his dropbacks. Obviously, very low. But there's no upside whatsoever because of the way that he's playing his game. He's getting rid of the ball before any pressure is coming to him. But these passes that are coming up within two and a half seconds are averaging minus 0.14 EPA per dropback and 2.9 yard target depth. And he's also not even willing to risk his body by scrambling. Uh, he's He did not have a single scramble in this game. It's the fifth time this season out of seven games that he did not have a scramble. Only six games in the entire season last year did he not have a scramble, just three times in 2020. So it's interesting that you bring up the New York Giants because what are the Giants doing and what is Daniel Jones having to do here? He's having to pass the ball more under pressure, but he's willing to take that pressure and stand into the pocket. He's also willing to run with the football and go down the field when stuff breaks down. Aaron Rodgers is just dumping the ball off short and and taking sacks and not running with the ball. And it's just a really interesting, I, I wanted to share that because you brought up the Giants and he Aaron Rodgers is the complete opposite of what he's willing to do with his body and put on the line as compared to what the Giants are asking Daniel Jones to do that he's actually doing. 
It's going to be an interesting primetime game. I'm excited to watch that on Sunday night. The other games that we have on the slate, we're going to start with the Las Vegas Raiders at New Orleans Saints. Saints are, in a, Saints are a one and a half point dog at home against the Raiders. Total set at 49 and a half. All of those odds provided by FanDuel. I, I have this game on our list here because I think it's your back against the wall game. You know, right now the Raiders are plus 280 to make the playoffs. The Saints are two and five or plus 560 to make the playoffs. This is win this game or honestly kiss your postseason hopes goodbye. I don't know. Like these teams have talent and they've shown that in, in the two games that they've won and even in the games that they've lost, I think you've seen talent on both uh, from both these teams, but their record is getting so bad that if you drop another game, it's going to be that much harder to climb back into the postseason, especially both those teams playing in relatively tough divisions. Where, where does your head go to start for this game, to start previewing this game? And am I right to kind of paint it as back against the wall, right, for the Raiders and Saints? One of these teams has to, is obviously going to come out with a win unless they both tie. And I think the other team that does lose, they're going to struggle to get back into the postseason race. Yeah, my, my head immediately goes to, besides the points that you made, which are deserving, and that is that, if if you want any hope, you can't fall to two and six or two and five, yeah. you know, which is exactly what both these teams will have is only two wins after the first half of the season is over. Eight weeks down, you have two wins. H- how's that going for you in terms of what you were expecting for your season to be? So you got to change something here. We both have we also have first year head coaches, new head coaches here. Their teams are struggling out the gates. What are they going to do? Uh, we do have the Raiders off of a win last week against the Houston Texans. We have the Saints off of a bad loss, but with a little bit of extra time to get ready for this one. For me, the the obvious matchup here is the fact that both teams are going to have success on the ground running the football, and that's going to help both quarterbacks. But I want to start with just talking about the Saints defense in general and how there may not be another disappoint, more disappointing unit in the entirety of the NFL on that side of the football for me, based upon what they did last year. There were a lot of teams that got better in the offseason from a personnel perspective that we expected and predicted would get better on defense, right? Green Bay and the Chargers and some of these other teams that we thought, hey, they added these couple of pieces. They're going to get better. They weren't that great last year, but this year, this is going to be their year. They're going to turn it around. That hasn't gone very well. But the Saints were the team that was actually great last year. The Saints defense ranked number one in the entire NFL on early downs. They allowed a first down to be converted on early downs just 21% of the time. No other team was better than they were last year. Now they move their defensive coordinator. He was so good that he became their head coach, right? Now their defensive coordinator is their head coach. And this team cannot stop the run because they're allowing too many holes to be opened up along the offensive line yards before contact per rush. They also are recording the lowest pressure rate of any defense on early downs in the first three quarters of games, just 17% on the season. And as a result, it's allowing opposing offenses to convert first downs at a very high rate against them. And, you know, I just, I just see them. Now they're going up against Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs is leading this Raiders offense to the number one ranking in EPA per carry. They rank number seven in yards before contact per rush. Um, Over the last three weeks, they rank number one and number two in EPA per carry and yards before contact per rush. Um, The Saints have really played only two elite running back teams this season. The Falcons and the Seahawks. Cordero Patterson, 120 yards on 22 carries. Kenneth Walker, Rashad Penny, 
And these two dudes both averaged at least 6.8 yards per carry. Kenneth Walker, 88 yards on eight carries. Rashard Penny, 54 yards on eight carries. And these guys, every, every decent team terrorized them. Um, they go up against the Cardinals backup, Eno Benjamin, last week. He averages 7.7 yards per carry, 92 yards on 12 carries. Um, and that's going to set up Derek Carr. And what do we know about Derek Carr, Austin? We know that if you can't pressure him, he's going to destroy you. He's going to have success against you if you can't pressure him. And I just mentioned the Saints do not provide pressure. So that's where I gravitate towards first is that I think both teams are going to have success running, which is going to help out both quarterbacks. And I'm just very disappointed in the Saints defense this season. Yeah, I wrote about it in the Power Rankings file this week on TheRinger.com. The Saints pressure rate at 22% through week seven is not only the lowest this season, it's the lowest according to true media over the last five seasons, like to start a year. Like that's how bad the Saints pass rush has been. And they're not creating pressure when they blitz. They're not creating pressure when they just rush their front four. And their defense ranks bottom five and yards before first contact, you know, per attempt allowed. Like you said, like this is a clear edge to the Raiders offense that over the last four weeks, or I think over the last three weeks, Josh Jacobs has over 140 rushing yards in every single game. Offensive lines creating push. Derek Carr has really played well, you know, so far this season. I think he's been quietly a lot better than maybe people would think just because they haven't won a lot of football games. And you go back to some of the games they've lost, a lot of one-score losses. That Arizona Cardinals loss in overtime where the Cardinals came back from 16 points in the fourth quarter was insane, improbable. So I do think that this Raiders team is a lot better than their record suggests. Whereas for the Saints... I don't know. I don't know how much better their record is than their, you know, um, or how much better they are than their record suggests, right? Maybe the maybe one win better, two wins better. This defense isn't playing well, and offensively, they're nowhere near what the Raiders are doing in efficiency with a mix of Jameis Winston and and Andy Dalton. I think Chris Olave has exceeded expectations when when healthy and on the football field. I think Alvin Kamara has exceeded expectations, but defensively. One of the worst defenses in the NFL in creating pressure. One of the worst defenses in the NFL at stopping the run. And that is going to hurt this Saints team. Raiders at minus one and a half on the road right now. I wouldn't be surprised if this line gets out to two, maybe even two and a half. Because I do think the Raiders have the clear edge in this game offensively. And defensively, both of these defenses are bad. I wanted to bring up the Raiders defense too. I think the Raiders defense is 30th and 4th three and out percentage. Their secondary has really struggled to limit explosive plays. Against the run though, Top five in yards before first contact per attempt allowed. They're stopping the run better than maybe people expected. I, I I think the edge in two bad defenses is also on the Raiders' side as well. Where are you at with 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 that side of the ball for the Raiders? Yeah, I I agree that they have the edge, but I will say this: their defense. You mentioned their run defense. If we look at the ranking of the opposing rushing offenses that the Raiders face this year, based upon uh, yards before contact per carry. These teams are the number 27 Broncos, number 25 Texans, number 24 Chargers, number 20 Cardinals, number 19 Chiefs, and number 18 Titans. Now you're going up against the number two New Orleans Saints. Uh, they rank number two in efficiency despite, despite not having Alvin Kamara the first two of the first four games this season. Um, he's put up 251 yards in three games on the ground. But the other thing that he does, obviously, is through the air. And the Raiders ranked number 25 in pass defense versus running back targets. So I think there's a big edge as long as Kamara is healthy in this game and does not get hurt, uh, that he's going to have a big day for the Saints and be able to help carry this offense. And, you know, if if they're able to utilize him a little bit uh, through the air, if they're able to run the ball fairly efficiently here, um, 
And then the other factor here is that on early downs in the first three quarters, the Raiders defense is allowing 30% of plays to gain another set of downs, which is fifth worst in the NFL behind only the Giants, Lions, Falcons, and Cardinals. That might get the Saints into the red zone enough times. And the issue for the Raiders is they rank dead last in red zone defense. Absolute dead last in red zone defense. We know it can be somewhat of a wonky stat, but we've had seven weeks of data and they rank dead last, actually six games for them. The Saints are one of the best teams in the NFL inside of the red zone. They just have a ton of plays at their disposal because of all their personnel. You know, they got Taysom Hill, who's a Swiss Army knife. They got multiple tight ends out there who can catch catch passes. So they can use a lot of different personnel groupings. Uh, they got Alvin Kamara now back, uh, and, and they've got Olave, and maybe they'll get another one of their wide receivers up. Remember, they played last week without both of their top two wide receivers aside from Olave. Um, and the other thing to note here is there's injuries in the secondary for both of these teams. Raiders starting quarterback Nate Hobbs was placed on the IR after the Chiefs game, so he's out for this game. The Saints just placed uh, Bradley Roby on the IR. He was carted off the game last Thursday. So two starting quarterbacks are out for both those teams. We don't know yet if Marshawn Lattimore, who hurt his abdomen, has missed two straight weeks. Is he going to play this week? He didn't practice at all last week. I'm not sure. I would assume Paulson Adebo is able to go this week because he was practicing in limited fashion last week, but their number two corner was not did not play last Thursday on a short week. So maybe they get both of those guys back and maybe both of them are able to play at 100%, but we don't know yet know that. And they're also going to be without Bradley Roby for certain because he just got put on IR. So these secondaries are a little beat up. I think that there is a justified reason why this total was sitting at like 48 on uh, Monday morning and got bet all the way up to 50 at some spots. Now is down to 49 and a half at a lot of places. Um, I think that there's, Obviously, the expectation here that amongst a lot of unders this season, these two teams, they go over the total a lot, and there's good reason for it. Uh, we got red zone struggles. We got struggles against stopping the run. Uh, we got struggles against pressure and opposing quarterbacks. These are all kind of part of the recipe for an over in this spot. Second highest total on the week, Las Vegas Raiders at New Orleans State set at 49 and a half. I think the only game above them is Lions-Dolphins. So. Maybe, maybe that that maybe that doesn't scream value on the over, but Vegas definitely expected points. I, my, my heavy lean here is the Raiders at minus one and a half. While it still is minus one and a half, I wouldn't be surprised later in the week if this gets out to two, maybe even two and a half to sneak under the key number three. I I really like the Raiders this week. I think they have a, the edge on both sides of the ball. I think this is a must win game for them. And in a dome, Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro back healthy. You have to hope Darren Waller eventually gets back into the starting lineup for this team as well. Josh Jacobs on a roll. I, I, I like the Raiders on the road in a dome to cover the one and a half. New England Patriots at New York Jets is the next game we want to discuss. It's another one and a half point dog at home. Jets at home, one and a half point dog. The total set at 40 and a half. One of the lower totals on the slate this week. Both court, I, I would say both teams have question marks or concerns or hopes for improved play at quarterback. You know, the New England Patriots on, on Monday night against the Chicago Bears started a healthy Mac Jones, pulled him for Bailey Zappi. Zappi goes in, puts together two touchdown scoring drives, and then the Patriots don't score another point on the night. Bears end up winning as eight and a half point underdogs in that game at Gillette Stadium. For the Jets, yes, they've won games. They're five and two on the season, but still only plus 140 to make the playoffs on FanDuel. That's the lowest odds or the worst odds of any team with five or more wins this year. Of the seven teams with five or more wins, that's the worst odds to make the postseason. A lot of that is because they have a, you know, a, a runaway favorite to win that division in the Buffalo Bills. But 
Still, season-ending injuries to Brees Hall and Elijah Vera Tucker and Zach Wilson. Point Blake hasn't played well this year. Like, he has not played well. When you compare him to Daniel Jones and New York Giants, who have better odds, minus 270 to make the playoffs, Daniel Jones has actually played well within the offense Dayball has put together for him. Zach Wilson and Joe Flacco, both quarterbacks that have seen significant play for the Jets, have not played well within this offense. Jets are one-and-a-half-point dogs. They have more wins than the Patriots, though. Shouldn't they be favored at home? What's your read on this game? Well, you know, for me, it's a tough spot for the Patriots because they're on a short week, and their backs are against the wall here to try to turn things around. This team is not used to having um, a losing record. That was an embarrassing loss last week. They're sitting at three and four. They absolutely own the New York Jets historically, but they have to win this game. Like this, we talk about teams that like, like have to win games. Um, you're a game removed from your bye. You you just blew a game as a nine point favorite. That you, you started off terribly, but you were up 14 to 10 against. Belichick is the defensive master here, and the defense had zero answers for the Chicago Bears, like zero answers for Justin Fields and the Bears. Very wild what happened on that side of the ball. Everybody wants to talk about the offensive side. That's you could criticize that as well. Um, but that's part of the reason why this is just such an important game for the New England Patriots. Like they they had such a straightforward way to play that game last week. And I don't want to like spend too much time on this, but my thoughts sharing it on the Ringer Gambling Show is simple. You have a quarterback who's playing great, who's your backup, and you have a starter who you clearly don't seem like you want to play the entire game. I don't know if there's a risk of re-injury. You don't want to play the freaking backup to start the game and if he plays great, then you got one extra week to rest your starter. And guess what? Then you could say, you know, he, he we weren't quite ready for him to play a full game yet, and we didn't need him. Then you get the game against the Colts next week, and you can decide what to do. And, and now, as it turns out, you're going to be playing uh, a, a young kid at quarterback for making his second ever start in Foxborough against the New England Patriots. That would be a fun uh, day to start, you know, Mac Jones back into things again. But but no, instead you you start Mac and you're obviously going to get the booze as soon as you go a couple of drives with punts and you know that you're not going to start off very quickly. The day before on Sunday, you just saw Dak Prescott where there's a far bigger talent discrepancy between him and Cooper Rush. But Dak started off the game slow as well. They were losing at halftime to, at home to the Detroit Lions. Why is that? Well, it's because quarterbacks who are injured and then are out for weeks don't start off firing the ball all around the field with perfection the first couple of drives that they get inserted into the game. Look back at history. So again, my point is it's so simple. Start Zappy. If he struggles, you stick in Mac to help save the day. If he doesn't struggle, you win the game and you say we were saving Mac for later. I have no idea how they botched that simple situation so terribly. But now here they are with both quarterbacks scratching their heads as to what they're supposed to do for this week. Both quarterbacks are trying to say the right things like we're going to get ready like we normally do. But it's just a weird situation in that locker room. Um, going back to the Jets, like I, I completely agree. But with you on Zach Wilson, who hasn't looked great. I mean, out of 32 quarterbacks on early downs this season, 32 in success rate, 30 in completion rate, 28 in EPA per attempt and percentage of passes that convert a first down. 
Um, they're using a ton of play action with him to make things simple since he's returned. But we say running backs don't matter. And to an extent, that's absolutely correct. And running backs are more replaceable than most people would think. That said, I mean, Brees Hall was playing outstanding, especially if you say you're in the same offense as Michael Carter Jr. And here are the numbers. Here are the difference in rankings. And they obviously added Robinson. And so we'll see how he contributes. But like, let's compare the three. EPA per play. Hall is number two on the season. Carter's 31 and Robinson's 34. Okay, we're talking about 42 running backs with 50 plus carries. These other two guys are near the bottom of the list, close to 42. Hall's number two. Runs that gained five plus yards. Hall's number eight. Robinson's 38 and Carter's 41 out of 42. Yards after contact per rush. Hall's number four. Robinson's number 33 and Carter's number 40 out of 42. Like top of the league, bottom of the league. Um, and Carter's in the same exact offense here with the same exact blocking. And now, as you mentioned, you lose Elijah Vera Tucker. Um, I, I don't know. Bill's got to be pissed off. Uh, we, we expected his defense to play really well last week against the Bears and limit them. Totally got surprised on Monday night. Now you got a short week to defend the Jets, but I don't know what the Patriots are going to get out of their offense. So Belichick side of the ball, the defense better hold down Zach Wilson and the lack of the run game here, because if they don't, I, I don't see the Patriots offense really just outscoring teams right now. You got to have a great performance from your defense here. And, and the defense has played well. I think we've 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 talked about all the reasons why Zach Wilson, this offense, there's doubts around it, especially with Brees Hall out. I think the biggest stat is Brees Hall this year, 15 runs over 10 yards, Michael Carter, three. Like, like, like the reason Brees Hall has been so successful is he's been able to create explosive plays in this offense that has been bereft of explosive plays. Like, they're struggling to create explosive plays down the football field. Since week four, Wilson's completion percentage is 57.4. Only Justin Fields and Cooper Rush have a lower completion percentage. I know that's a simple stat, but he's not completing passes. And it's hard to create explosive plays when you're not completing passes at a high rate. Brees Hall was creating explosive plays for this offense. It was, it was, he was allowing them to not have to matriculate down the football field. Because if you ask Wilson to do so, and you ask this Jets offense to cross the bridge a thousand times, it's not going to be as explosive and as, and as successful as when Brees Hall is busting off, you know, 10 plus runs all the, sing, all, you know, all the time and creating these explosive plays. So I worry about the Jets offense. Defensively, number two in yards per play allowed, number two in, you know, forcing third downs. Like Robert Sala has this defense cooking. They are playing really well. I think Ahmad Garner has solidified himself as one of the top five cornerbacks in the NFL. They're creating pressure up front. This Jets defense is really good, which is concerning concerning for a Patriots offense that has question marks at quarterback. Like, I don't even know who's going to start. Is it going to be Mac Jones? Is it going to be Bailey Zappi? That is the concern. However, I think there's just, there's too much newness now going into this week for the Patriots, right? Going, going to New York, which I, I, you're going to New York, they're on the road. Going against an offense that was so predicated on Brees Hall creating this explosive plays. I, I think that Bill Belichick is not going to have back-to-back stinkers here. I remember in the Bill Belichick of old, when you saw a, Bill, you know, a Patriots team lose, mo- people were firing off 500 tweets saying, oh man, I don't want to be Bill Belichick's next opponent. No one's saying that now because the Patriots are obviously three and four plus 300 to make the playoffs and they don't have Tom Brady. But man, I do think after Bill Belichick got exposed on Monday Night Football against the Chicago Bears, one of the worst teams in the NFL, I think he's showing up for this game. I think he's going to New York, a team he hasn't lost to since 2015. That is ailing. You know, no Elijah Vera Tucker, no Brees Hall. 
a quarterback that hasn't played well in the starts that he's had. I think that the coach, Bill Belichick is is too proud. And maybe this isn't good analysis, but too proud to lose to this Jets team, man. I, I, I can't bet on the Jets in this spot. Well, well, look, you just said you just said the great statement because I got this nugget ready for you. But the, the, the statement was that Bill Belichick doesn't have back-to-back stinkers. They're not going to lose. Everybody, you know, knew that during the Tom Brady days, but like now is obviously different. Well, guess what? Over the last two years, right? Yeah, you, you've been playing with Mac Jones, the quarterback last year, and then so far this season. Okay. After a loss, the Patriots are six and four straight up and seven and three ATS. Doesn't sound great. Sounds pretty good. Doesn't sound great. But guess what? Their only losses in the six and four versus the Buffalo Bills twice versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers last year and versus the Green Bay Packers. We're talking four of the best teams in the NFL. We're talking about teams led by Josh Allen, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers. In their other games, when they are not playing, an absolute stud quarterback, like all-timers, Hall of Famers, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and Josh Allen is sure to get there eventually. They are 6-0, they are 5-1 ATS, and they are winning by an average final score of 33-10. to That's a six-game sample over the last year and a half uh, since the start of the 2021 season when, you know, the Patriots are playing young quarterback and we don't really know. Like, this team holds these opposing offenses in check. Bill Belichick straightens everything out after a loss, holds the opponents to 10 points. Their offense ends up rolling up 33 on average when you're not playing a freaking stud quarterback. And obviously, Zach Wilson is nowhere near that category, nor is he playing anywhere near that category right now. So, you know, like I said, to to me, it's got to start with the defense. It's got to start with Belichick. Uh, They've got to figure out a way to hold this Jets team down to like 13 points or so. And then I think the Patriots are going to cruise and have a lot of success here. But if, if the if the Patriots give up one of those tricky, quick scores, you know, uh, the floor yeah. has been calling some nice plays and, and situations and trick plays and things of that nature that are getting chunk yardage. And I know Brees Hall has been the beneficiary of a couple of those. But if they're able to get like a couple of touchdowns on the board, the Jets are, and 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 really put pressure on the Patriots offense. I mean, that's obviously the, the the sign here. So that's the scary part for Belichick. It's like, we got to crunch these guys and stop them from having any type of continued success and efficiency marching the ball down the field. But we also always got to be on the lookout for one of these trick plays or something that they might pull a cat out of the, uh, a rabbit out of the hat, so to speak. They can't, they can't give up explosives. I, I know that's simple. And I think that's a game plan every single week. But you give up explosives against this Jets team, they can win. But if you don't, and you force them, like I said, to matriculate down the field and force this new offense, right? This new offense that doesn't have Reese Hall, doesn't have Elijah Vera Tucker to throw the football more often. We know, And that doesn't even include that Elijah, um, Elijah Moore is disgruntled. I think he's playing this week, but we don't know how often he's going to be involved in the offense. Like, if the Patriots can limit explosives, I think they win this game. And I think this they win this game handedly, which a lot of people said when they were eight and a half point favorites over the Bears last, you know, or, or on Monday night. I think this is different. I, I like the Patriot mi- Patriots minus one and a half. I also might play an alternate spread here. I might get, take it to six and a half because I think Bill Belichick is playing with blood, you know, playing with blood in the water here. I think he wants to, you know, really show up, improve this team to four and four. Their odds to make the postseason right now are plus 300. Those improve dramatically with the division win over the Jets on the road. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. 
Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, next team here, or next game, Giants at Seattle Seahawks. You reached out to me last night and you're like, hey, we got to make sure we talk about this game. We talk about the Giants probably every single week because they're one of the more surprising teams in the NFL. But Giants at Seattle Seahawks, Seahawks were coming off a big win over the Los Angeles Chargers, a dominant win over the Los Angeles Chargers with one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And Geno Smith, by any metric you look at, Geno Smith has been phenomenal. They are favored by three at home over the 6-1 and one Giants. The total set at 44.5. Start with the Seahawks for me. Favored by three over the 6-1 and one Giants. Are you buying that? Are you buying the Seattle Seahawks team? I know it's hard to play in Seattle. One of the hardest stadiums to play, and I think that's a big reason why this line's out to three. I think in Giants, or in, in East Rutherford, is maybe they're favored by two. Maybe they're favored by one and a half. But at Seattle, they're favored by three. Start with the Seattle Seahawks for me. What have you seen from them? And how, how sustainable is this four and three start? Should they be eyeing the postseason at plus 210 to make the playoffs on FanDuel? I wish they had DK Metcalf back, right? Like that, that there's been so many injuries this year. That one is bothersome because I love seeing Geno Smith cook uh, in Seattle and it's been a lot of fun. So now he's going to have to do it with, uh, you know, an arm tied behind his back of missing a few fingers or something like that. But he, he's, he should still have a little bit of success here. It's going to come down to anytime you play the Giants, how well do you handle the blitz? How well do you pl- perform against man coverage? And we knew that Trevor Lawrence would struggle in both of those scenarios. And we talked about it last week. If people were listening, I was telling people on Wednesday and on the Friday show with House, watch out here because every like if you're just thinking about betting situations, buy low, sell highs, you're going to want to j- grab the Jaguars. But this is not a great matchup for this offense. And as it turns out, like for a lot of teams right now, they're used to going up against zone defense. They're used to going up against yeah. two high shells. The league has morphed into this, let's sit back, let's lighten the box, let's play coverage, let's encourage you to run the football, and then when we get down into the red zone, we're going to tighten up. Well, the Giants are playing Wink's style, the style that Wink was born into, you know? <laughs> you guys you guys adopted it. I was born into it, right? Like, he's coming out with these blitzes left and right all the time, and quarterbacks... Now more than ever, 
are unaccustomed to dealing with that. They're not used to getting blitzed when they're on first down at their 25-yard line, right? And so it's a challenge for these teams. Now, Geno Smith just went up against a team that blitzes a lot. The Arizona Cardinals have the third highest blitz rate. So the top three teams in blitz rate are the Giants, then the Packers, then the Arizona Cardinals. Geno didn't have a great game against the Blitz with the Arizona Cardinals. You can look back at his stats. It was just a couple of weeks ago. But there's one big difference. The Cardinals play one of the highest rates of zone coverage in the NFL. The Giants play one of the highest rates of man coverage in the NFL. And Geno has done really well in general against man coverage. Like, Geno was bad when he was blitzed or when he wasn't blitzed against the Arizona Cardinals, but they played just four dropbacks of man coverage, 30 dropbacks of zone coverage. The Giants played the number one highest rate of man coverage, way more than the number two team. And look at Geno's splits when he's playing against man versus playing against zone. Against man, plus 0.62 EPA, 10.4 yards per attempt. Against zone, minus 0.03 EPA. That's a massive shift, plus 0.62 to minus 0.03 and 10.4 yards per attempt drops down to 7.3 when he's playing against zone. Um, So Gino at least has a higher floor to start from because he's going to be going up against more man than zone this week. So now the question is, can he deal with the blitz and can he deal with the inevitable pressure that ends up coming when he's playing without DK Metcalf? Against pressure, Gino laughs in your face. I mean, Gino's done great against pressure this season. On all downs versus pressure, Geno's number two in completion rate, number five in success rate, number five in yards per attempt, and number six in EPA per attempt. The one interesting thing that I got to finish discussion on this side of the ball, and I'll toss it back to you, Austin, is we look at the Giants' defense and we say, this is a great pressure team. This team, look at how much they're getting pressure on opposing quarterbacks. This team is super tough to play against because they're getting pressure so often. But if you break it down, here's one interesting nugget on the Giants and their ability to get pressure. On all downs over the course of the entire game, you probably wouldn't imagine this, but they rank 10th worst in pressure rate when they blitz and 10th worst in pressure rate when they don't blitz. But here's the funny, or uh, it's not really funny, it's really intriguing to me, element of this. They blitz at the highest rate in the NFL and they get pressure, all teams do, at like over 10 percentage points more when you blitz than when you don't blitz. So you can be bottom 10 in pressure rate when you blitz, but still have a good overall pressure if you blitz a shitload. Like if you Mm -hmm. blitz a shitload, a higher percentage of the opposing quarterback's dropbacks are going to be against the blitz and you have a higher pressure rate when you're blitzing than when you're not blitzing. Thus, it's going to make like your overall pressure rate against opposing quarterbacks is much higher than it really is. So from an overall efficiency perspective, this team does not actually get pressure at a great rate. But because they blitz a shitload, it ends up helping their overall pressure numbers. So can Geno and the Seahawks offense deal with the fact that, yeah, they're going to blitz us a ton, but they're not that efficient at getting pressure even when they are blitzing. How are we gonna how are we gonna answer that? Where are my answers every play? I need to have a lot of answers on every snap. We got to build that into the game plan here. The good news for them, they're playing at home. The crowd's gonna be quiet. So that's gonna help them a lot offensively. Uh, but it's not gonna be easy because they're going up against Wink. 
Yeah, I, I, I tweeted out earlier uh, this week, no team runs more blitzes. So 45% of plays, Wink Martindale's calling a blitz. And no team runs more man coverage. 48% of plays are running man coverage. And they're doing it with Adoree Jackson, Fabian Moreau, and Darnay Holmes as their you know, starting trio of cornerbacks. Wink Martindale doesn't care, does not care who he's got back there. He's going to blitz and he's going to run man coverage. And teams go back and watch the last few drives for the Jacksonville Jaguars, where a combination of Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and Marvin Jones are like struggling to create any separation. Against these corners, Adore Jackson, Favorite Road, Darnell, like they are playing man coverage and teams are struggling to create separation. And I think a lot of that is because it is a massive zig to the league zag that's running a lot more zone, not blitzing as often, nearly as often as Wink Martindale. And when you have receivers that week in and week out are trying to find holes in zone coverage and, and recognizing cover three, recognizing cover two, and trying to, you know, trying to sink into those open holes that those present. Then you're like, hey, Fabian Moreau, Adore Jackson on the outside are going to you know, punch you in the mouth and play man coverage with you all day long. Get open. And there aren't a lot of teams in the NFL right now with complete receiving cores. I, I say the Cincinnati Bengals has the best receiving core in the NFL. After that, there aren't teams with like one, two, three options where you can feel all that confident that he, they, they'd create separation consistently against man coverage. Even the Bucks with Mike Evans, Russell Gage, and, and Chris Godwin. You run man coverage, coverage against those boys all day long. I still think that you might have some edge. I, I, I think I, because of just you know it when you run man coverage, you have to it, you have to have guys that can create consistent separation. Or when you're facing man coverage, you have to have guys that can create consistent separation. If you don't, you're you're going to struggle, man. It's going to force more accurate throws from your quarterback. If there's any flaw in Trevor Lawrence's game, it is his you know down to down accuracy, and he had to be accurate against the New York Giants because they're running so much man coverage. Obviously, the Giants end up winning that football game. My, my read, and I, I think you hit on everything looking at the Seahawks offense versus the Giants defense. I think Geno Smith's been fantastic. This is going to be a zig to his zag that he's normally seen. A lot more blitzes, a lot more man coverage. No DK, Metcalf, no DK Metcalf hurts, but I still think that the Seahawks offense has the edge over this defense because as, as much as he's blitzing, because I think this is the, the underrated storyline, as much as he's blitzing and as much as he's running man coverage and we keep talking about, you know, oh man, like Wink Martindale's a madman, they rank 20th. And force, forcing three and outs, they rank twenty first in plays, you know, yards allowed per drive. Like, it's not a good defense. Like, just because Wink Martindale is doing all these things on average, game to game, it's not one of the better defenses in the NFL in limiting success. When you look at defensive success rate, the Giants are nineteenth in the NFL. Like, they are not playing down, you know, game over game, fantastic defense. They're just doing things that teams are struggling with in these key moments, right? Minus 16 is the Giants' point differential through the first three quarters. They've been, they've been leading going into the second half once this year. But they light it up in the fourth quarter, and they win in these clutch moments, and a lot of that is Jones, Barkley, Dayball, finding ways to win in the final 15 minutes. Other side of the ball, to talk about the New York Giants. Daniel Jones has, has been awesome this year. 11th in EPA per dropback this season, and 4th in EPA per dropback over the last four weeks. Now, is it chicken or the egg? Is Daniel Jones awesome? Or is it Dayball? I, I think it's both, right? I think Dayball is getting the best out of Jones, and Jones is living up to the hype. He's not turning the ball over. He's not fumbling nearly as much as he had previous years. He's not putting the ball in harm's way as much as he has in previous years. The other massive improvement for this team is Saquon Barkley, favorite to win comeback player of the year at minus 200, second leading rusher in the NFL behind Nick Chubb. And when you turn on the fourth quarter of that game, because in the first quarter, I think he only had like 10 yards rushing. But in the fourth quarter of that game, guy just turns it on, man. This is a fourth quarter cardiac team that is, is, is finding ways to win out of their star players like Saquon Barkley. Daniel Jones rising to the occasion as well. I like this Giants offense too in those games. Now, they tried. We talked about it on this podcast last week. They got to get out to leads. They know winning in the fourth quarter and coming back in the fourth quarter is not sustainable. They tried that. 
They had their second completion of 20-plus yards downfield on the season. Every other team in the NFL has at least seven. Their second completion in the first half, that Darius Slayton touchdown you know, over the top, that was, a, that was a way for them to get out to a lead in the first quarter of that game. But still, it's not a super explosive offense, specifically in the first half of games. They're not finding a lot of success down the football field. That's going to catch up to them. Does it catch up to them against the Seattle Seahawks? I don't think that it does. Um... Because the Seahawks defense is pretty darn terrible. And I love what the coaching staff is doing here with the way that they are switching things up. Last week, they made a major shift. They went massively pass on early downs in the first half of games from 56% pass up to 64% pass. Doesn't sound like a ton. It is. And it made a difference. 8.1 yards per attempt versus 6.3 the first six weeks of the season. Um, it put the Giants in a position to lead from ahead, rather clawing back from behind like they've done in the past. And, you know, this is a team that understands the right ways to attack their opponents and tries to figure out the best strategies. Y- y- there's not much more that needs to be said about my affinity for this staff because of how good they've done, how well they've performed, how intelligent they have been with the players they have. But to your point, they're just losing players and they already had a barren cover to begin with. It's like they barely have, they're trying to cook a a full course meal and somebody ran through the house and rampages all the spices and and they're not, they don't even have, last week they lost the salt. They can't even salt their meat. Now they only have a little bit of pepper and they're going to get by with just pepper on their trip to Seattle. They're going to have to figure out how to make this meal with the only spice they got is pepper, basically. And it's difficult for them to, to do. And at some point, it is absolutely going to catch up. But the Seahawks defense has struggled. You're going to have to deal with the crowd noise. And more than anything, Austin, I think you're going to have to deal with the travel. Think about what the Seahawks have done in the last month of football. They do have a bye next week. They're like, they're like just desperately crawling through the Sahara trying to get to that oasis that's there, which is that bye week to get themselves a sip of water and just roll over into the pool of water because this team went to London, came back home, played the Ravens, not an easy opponent. Uh, They they then go down to Florida to take on the Jaguars and now they're going out to Seattle. I mean, we're talking about the team from New York, the East Coast. You go to London, back home, down to Florida, back home, out to Seattle. Brutal travel over the last four weeks. They need that bye week. I wonder if it's going to catch up with them for this spot or not. But uh, a great, great job of coaching to get out of this team what they've been able to. I'm looking forward to it. I, I, I don't want to doubt the Giants. I think if I had a lean, I don't have a strong lean either side. I, I think if I was going to bet the spread, I'd like the Giants at plus three. But still, it's it's a tough it's a tough stadium to play in, and they have not been consistently a team that gets out to leads and 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 that is more predictive of future wins than winning in the fourth quarter every single week, right? It's why they have the second lowest odds to make the playoffs of any team with five or more wins. Like They are a team that has won a lot in volatile ways. Now, can they win in Seattle? Of course. Like This is a team that's very capable of that. I'm not not predicting a blowout by Seattle by any means. I still think that um, if you're betting this game, I like the Giants at plus three, but it's it's a tough game to have a lean on. I don't know if I have a lean either side. San Francisco 49ers at Los Angeles Rams. Last game of the slate. Rams, we, we, we talked about three home dogs. All of them are one and a half point dogs right now. Jets are one and a half point dogs at home. Saints are one and a half point dogs at home. And the Los Angeles Rams coming off a bye. 
are one and a half point dogs at home, total set at 42 and a half against the San Francisco 49ers. I think this is one of the more interesting games of the slate. Rams have the edge in terms of rest. Hopefully in that bye week, some self-scouting and some self-study to figure out how they can create more explosive plays on offense. It's one of the worst offenses in the NFL by any statistic you look at. I look at the bye as a huge opportunity for one of the best coaches in the NFL and Sean McVay to do some self-scouting and figure out how they can turn things around with some of the weaknesses that they have. I know they don't have OBJ. I know that they don't have Von Miller. And I know that they don't have Andrew Whitworth. And Joseph Noteboom also out with an injury too. Those are the excuses when you're every single week preparing for a new team, creating game plans and all those things, trying to stick to what you have. I don't know if you can have those same same excuses out of the bye. I think you have to look at, okay, these are the weaknesses of the team. This is how we're going to adapt. This is how we're going to change the offense and defense to overcome some of those concerns. Rams is a one and a half point dog in SoFi Stadium against the San Francisco 49ers team that, yes, has a very talented defense and D'Amico Ryan's has maximized an injury play defense is still banged up though. And offensively, I don't trust Jimmy G more than any other quarterback in the NFL, man. Like I think he's a guy that loses you football games. A strip sack in this game, took a safety, also threw one of the worst red zone interceptions I've ever seen in that loss against the Kansas City Chiefs. I worry. I worry about the San Francisco 49ers being a one and a half point favorite on the road against the Rams team that has the edge in terms of rest, obviously coming off the bye. Yeah, I worried as well. Um, I also worry about this team trying to get by with the loss of Kyle Juszczyk. And that sounds like a silly thing to question and wonder about because it's just a fullback. Like it's 2022. Why would a fullback make so much of a difference? Well, in Kyle Shanahan's offense, a fullback does make a difference. And I was looking back at the last time that Juszczyk missed a span of games. And it was back in 2019 where he missed weeks six through nine. Quite a nice number, but he was out for those four weeks. And if you look at what this team was doing prior to that on the season, when they had a fullback on the field and they went to pass the football, they had 70% success passing the football plus 0.61 EPA. When they were an 11 personnel, success rate was down to 41% success and uh, 12 personnel down at 10% success. They were terrible passing the football without the fullback on the field just because of what Kyle likes to do with, he's not even run blocking on the field during a pass play, but the looks that he can get that defense into are just a huge advantage for the 49ers. And then, of course, they are a little bit more efficient when they run the football, but it's not quite as massive. Their passing attack was so much better when the fullback was on the field. When they lost the fullback in those four weeks that Juszczyk was out, they were a little bit better running the football from 11 personnel than they were from 12 personnel. Their passing attack was about the same. It was, they had more EPA from 12, but a slightly better success rate from 11. But it was a drop-off clearly from when they had a fullback out on the field, whether it was in 21 or 22 personnel. But the difference was, Kyle likes to play with heavier personnel in general, so they did not use a lot of 11. They didn't use a lot of 11, even though it was much more efficient when they were running the football to be in 11 personnel. Um, They ran... 83 times from 12 and only 36 times from 11, but their efficiency from 11 plus 0.18 EPA versus minus 0.23 from 12. Their success rate was 11 percentage points higher from 11 than it was from 12. So you look at this team, are they, are they close to being that way this year? Like, wh- are they that much more efficient out of a full, with a fullback on the field when they're passing the ball this year in 2022 as they were in 2019? Hell yes, they are. Plus 0.28 EPA per attempt and 56% success when a fullback is on the field this year. 
Out of 11 personnel, they have negative EPA per attempt. Out of 12 personnel, they have negative EPA per attempt. So they are, and, and similarly, their run game is not that much better out of with a fullback, but their pass game is much better. I just am not sure how Kyle's going to call plays here without check out there. I know you got Christian McCaffrey, but you also got Debo injured. Are you going to try to utilize more 12 personnel because you don't have Debo? You're not going to get anywhere close to the same efficiency if what we saw occur in 2019 was similar in that they're more efficient running the football out of 11 than 12, and you might use more 12. There's just a lot of questions on that side of the ball for me without check. That seems like such a minor and small thing, but when check and they got a fullback out there for over 50% of their offensive plays, and he's like a jackknife for the passing game, it is going to make a difference. And you're going up against a team that knows you well and is difficult, has been difficult um, defensively and is coming off of a bye and needs this win badly. So, you know, both of these team needs wins. It's going to be a great game, but I do wonder about that matchup. I, I think the the bye week edge is a big reason why I like the Rams at, at, at one and a half. Maybe you sprinkle a half unit on the money line, but also like maybe taking them out in a teaser leg, right? Getting them out through the three and through the seven uh, in a six point teaser leg, I think is is one of the one of my favorite teaser legs this week, right? It's a home it's home dog at one and a half. If you tease them out at six, you take them from one and a half to seven and a half against a 49ers team that again does not have the edge in rest. That D'Amico Ryan's defense got exposed against the Kansas State Chiefs. Now, that's not to say Ryan's isn't a good head coach. That's not to say this isn't a good defense. It's just that the injuries are going to stack up, right? This is a team defensively that has a lot of injuries and against a good offense in the Kansas City Chiefs, I think the Chiefs put up 44 in that game. Now, the Rams don't have that offense, but I still think that coming off a bye, you could see for the Los Angeles Rams some similar success offensively, maybe not to the degree the Kansas City Chiefs can have, but I like the Rams as an edge as an edge in this game. I like them in a teaser leg more than anything, but I might even sprinkle maybe a half unit on the money line there as well. Warren, this is always a fantastic show. I really appreciate Every single Wednesday we get together. I think I get better betting. I get better learning the game. And I always enjoy the time we have together. Big shout out to our producer, Mike Wargon. Also, Steve Cerruti and Connor Nevins for additional production assistance on that side. We'll be back next week. Wednesday next week, we will be back again talking more football as we go into week nine. Thanks again. Austin Gale, Warren Sharp, The Ringer Gambling Show. <laughs> 